You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 840. You can be seated. Let me just give you a little warning before we start today. We're going to swim in the deep end of the swimming pool today. So take off your floaties and let's go to Colossians chapter one together. This is where we've been the last several weeks. We'll be the remainder of the summer in the book of Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter one with me, please. We're going to pick up kind of where we dropped off last week. We're going to actually go back a few verses and revisit uh, verse 19 and verse 20 together of chapter one. So if you're a copy of God's word, let's go there. Colossians chapter one together and go and keep your Bible open. This will be the passage that we're in uh, together today. These five verses we're about to read, I think, are some of the richest passages in all of the New Testament about Christ, about his cross, and how it is that we are saved. Colossians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 19. For in him, that him there references Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if... Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Keep your Bible open. Would you note in verse 20 the word reconcile? Would you note again in verse 22, you you see it again in past tense, this time reconciled. So we see reconciled, present tense in verse 20. We see reconciled, past tense in verse 22. And, And the noun reconciliation is really important to Christianity. Perhaps you've heard the term reconciliation before in, 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 in terms of, or in view of, of, of a civil court or, or a family court. When a divorce or a family separation or a a business civil suit has begun, and there's an effort on behalf of the court to reconcile the two parties, that is to put two warring parties back together again. The Bible uses the word reconciliation really in, in two ways. First of all, the reconciliation that we have with one another as the family of God, brothers and, and sisters, that is that Christians should forgive one another, be at peace with one another, display grace toward one another. Scripture talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 18. But the second way the Bible uses the term reconciliation is God reconciling man back to himself, or if you will, man reconciling back to God. So let me get nerdy for just a few moments. Or actually, the term might be nerdier. It would probably be more accurate. The the word reconcile in Greek is the word katalasso. And I say that to you to make a distinction because a different word is used here in verse 20 and verse 22 for for reconcile. It's not katalasso here in verse 20 or 22. It's op katalasso. A preposition is added to the front of that word, which in Greek intensifies 
the word. So what you have here, the word reconciled, is really an intense reconciliation. It's completely reconciled, totally reconciled, reconciled to the fullest degree, the fullest, absolute fullest degree. What Paul is doing here is he's punching some false teachings there in Colossae right in the nose. The false teaching said in order for a man to get to God, he must climb up a spiritual ladder. In order for a person to get to God, they must climb up a spiritual ladder. Man must work to reach God. So the point that Paul is making right here is no, actually, there is a total, absolute, complete, and full reconciliation, not through work, but through the only one, Jesus Christ. That's why he uses that much more intense word in Greek, to give the word reconciliation to the fullest. So Paul says here in verse 19 that Christ is God. Jesus is God, and so Christ is able, without any assistance, to bring us to God. In verse 20, your Bible's still open. Through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, God, all things. Whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so there's no escalating ladder that you have to climb to get to God. We have Jesus, and he is perfectly able to reconcile us to God. Now, Paul's not going to only say that Christ is God, but Christ is also able to save. And that's the second punch that he throws right into the nose of the false teaching. In verse 20 through 23, we'll see this soon, Paul will begin to establish the sufficiency of Christ to save people, to reconcile people to God. So let me talk a little bit this morning about the theology of salvation. Again, I told you, this is going to be a deep day together today here at Highland. So we're going to go to the deep end of the pool. There's some words for, for salvation that we see all throughout the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, there seems to be five terms, if you will, of our salvation. Five terms of our salvation. The word justification, you see this on the screen. Justification, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, and adoption. Those are five terms used all throughout the New Testament that, that speak of our salvation, that speaks of our, of our rescue. Let's kind of break those down very quickly. In justification, I'm going to be brief, so stay with me here. In justification, the guilty sinner stands before God and the sinner is declared righteous. And guilty was true. That was a very true statement of us, a very accurate statement of us before Christ. We were guilty, but now we're declared righteous, which means we now have right standing with God. We can stand rightly before God. Now, the second term we see is the word redemption. In redemption, the shackled sinner stands before God as a slave and is granted freedom by the payment of a ransom. Again, it's accurate. A shackled sinner, we, we, were, we were slaves to our own sin. We, we stand before God, and God gives us freedom because of a, of a payment of a, of a ransom. Today is Juneteenth. We remember 157 years ago when slaves in Galveston first understood, even though the Emancipation Proclamation had been declared two and a half years before that, that they were actually free. The Texas slaves were told of their granted freedom. They were once slaves, and now they discover that they are now free. That's kind of the partial story of our salvation. We were slaves to our sin, but now we are freed by the payment of a ransom. Thirdly, In forgiveness, the impoverished sinner stands before God as a debtor. And the debt, having been paid, is forgotten. We were spiritually 
impoverished. We, we spiritually had nowhere to stand. We had nothing to us at all spiritually. We could not move forward. And we were not just forgiven. We were forgiven, yes, but I love this about the character of God. Our sin was also forgotten. In reconciliation, and this is beautiful, the separated sinner stands before God as an enemy and then becomes a friend of God. Peace with God is is made. So those two warring parties are, are brought together. And then an adoption, and I love this also. The sinner stands before God as an outside stranger and is then made a son or a daughter. So we went from sinners to slaves, debtors, and enemies to now the family of God. We have been saved, Highland, with a great salvation. Amen. What we often do to show how magnificent something truly is is before and after pictures. It's the strategy of advertisers today and multi-level marketing. I'm on Facebook also. Uh, and, and, and commercials. And before and after, you kind of see a picture of a person or a place or a thing before. And then after some kind of transformation, you see the picture afterward. I'll just give you a few examples on the screen. Uh, Tom Cruise's stardom has been resurrected the last few weeks. Here's a picture of Tom Cruise before he was famous. And then after he was famous, I hope his dentist has that on a poster in his office somewhere. <laughs> and of course, we live here in Waco today, right? The fixer upper capital of, of the world. And we see this all the time. We see a picture of an old house. That's the before. Then we see the picture of, of the after, after the transformation. Just completely, completely redone. Uh, another one that we see, of course, is, is Chris Hemsworth. You probably know him from, uh, from, from the movies. A very unattractive guy. Recently... He had a very successful facelift. And that's what he looks like now after the facelift. Great choice, Thor. Thought you did really well on that. So before, after is what Paul is going for. I'm not sure why you're laughing so loudly at that one. Before, after is what Paul is going for in verse 21 and verse 22. So go back, hope your Bible is open. And you who once, so here's our, here's our before picture, were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now, this is the after picture, reconciled in his body, the body of Christ, of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What he says here is before you met Jesus, you had a problem in your head. Your mind was hostile to God. It was arguing, it was resistant, it was self-righteous, it was very self-justifying. It's like all of us have a small attorney in our minds, always saying, God, you're wrong and I'm right, and I'm not that bad, and, and my ideas for my life are pretty good, and maybe you should listen to me, and my sin isn't as bad as, as his sin. Before Christ, our minds were set in hostility toward God. Our minds, again, resisted the truth, suppressed the truth. Also, we see here in verse 21, we were alienated. In other words, that means we were excluded from God. We were outside of his family. We were not his chosen. We were not his and not even close. So here's the deal. Our mind problem turns to a heart problem, turns to a hand problem. The middle of verse 21, we were doing evil things. See, when your mind doesn't belong to God, nothing of you belongs to God. 
You will just do anything that you want to do for pleasure, for self-satisfaction, for self-promotion, for self-centeredness, all of which are definitions of doing evil things. That was the before picture of you. And then when we met Jesus and we received Christ and his grace, here's the after picture. We get a new mind. We see this again in verse 22. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, we now can think differently about Christ, about ourselves, about the word of God. And this leads to a change of heart. Now we want to be with Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want the holy character of Christ flowing through our lives and all of this possible because of the cross. So look at that list of five things again on the screen. Before picture is we stood in front of God as the accused. The after picture is we are now declared as righteous, which is justification. Our before picture is that we stood before God as a slave then afterwards, he granted us freedom. That is redemption. Our before picture, we stood in front of God as a debtor. After picture, he forgot our debt. That is forgiveness. Our before picture is that we stood in front of God as an enemy of God. Afterwards, after we received Christ, we are now a friend of God. That is reconciliation. Before we understood the grace of God and stepped into Christ, we stood in front of God as a stranger. Afterwards, he called us his child. That's adoption. And that sums up salvation. It's an amazing picture of the before and after. So the fourth term, reconciliation, is what we're going to look at together today because it's in our text. And Scripture is going to give us four aspects for you note takers today. Here's your warning. Four things. Scripture is going to give us four aspects of reconciliation. I love the chorus to the old hymn, it's about 160 years old, how marvelous. The, the chorus is, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. What, what we're going to look at today for the remainder of the sermon is how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be part of salvation. So four aspects of reconciliation. The first one is this, the big plan of reconciliation. With your Bible still open, look at verse 20. We see the big plan. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So here you have the big plan of God's reconciliation. And the key phrase is this, to reconcile to himself all things. And you'll notice the phrase in the ESV, at least before that, through him. That, that's a reference to Christ. So through Christ, God's going to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. The big plan is for God to reconcile all things, hear this again, all things to himself. Now, we don't have enough time today to explore what all things is. We would be here until next week if we could unpack some of that. So let's just take a few things. Uh, let's start with creation. When God made everything, he made everything good, whole, complete, right? God created all. He looked at it and he said, it's good. God made all things good, made it for his pleasure. He, he possessed it all. He owned all of creation and it was not estranged from him. And in those days, man and woman walked in the garden in the cool of, of the day and they walked in the presence of God and everything was very good. But then sin entered in. 
and the world rebelled and the universe was, was cursed and was alienated itself from, from God. And we live even today on a cursed earth and, and our earth occupies space on a, on a cursed universe. And even the heavens are polluted. You know that, right? They're occupied by Satan and by his demons. And, and God's going to have to come one day and clean everything up. That's why the Bible talks about restoration of all things. The Bible speaks of a new earth and a new heaven. It's all got to be redone, but it's in rebellion right now. So scripture shows us here in verse 20, God's going to reconcile everything back to himself. If you want the simplest explanation of that, here it is. God's going to make friends with the universe again. That's the big idea of reconciliation. Sin has ruined not just our lives, but sin has ruined the universe itself. It's destroyed harmony between man and creation, between man and man, and certainly between man and God. But through Christ, the universe is going to be brought back. It's going to be restored to the right relationship with God. So here it is. The big plan, if you want to know what the big plan of reconciliation is, the big plan is to bring humanity and the universe back to God. This is the biblical picture of reconciliation, the two parties that are far from one another coming back together. Secondly, the only method of reconciliation. So we have the big plan, now we have the only method of reconciliation, and this is really rich. The means of reconciliation is in verse 20, again, here's the method, so hang on to it. Here, here it is, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so how did Christ take God and man, who are enemies we see, and make peace. Well, he makes peace between God and man through the blood of his cross. Now jump down to verse 22. It says that another way, in his body of flesh, by his death. So we have two phrases going on here. Hi, let me make sure you're staying with me. I know, I know this, is, this is some richer theology today. There's two things here. Number one, the blood of his cross. That's in verse 20. Secondly, his body of flesh, by his death. That's in verse 22. These two phrases are going to show how God is going to deal with our sin. This is the only method of reconciliation. First, through the blood of Christ. Come down to verse 22. We see his death as a man. His death in human flesh is the thing that will reconcile us back to God. Remember what Paul said, the same writer of the book of Colossians. He wrote the book of Romans as well. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, For what the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh, God did by the sending of his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So Christ died as a sacrifice. Christ died as a perfect substitution. He didn't die as an animal like in the Old Testament. No, he also did not die as a spirit as some people might even believe. He died as a man for men. And then Jesus came flying out of that tomb three days later and moved into the lives of his people so that we might be transformed. So I can say with Paul, you can say with Paul, for me to live is what? Christ. God has been satisfied, and so we have all been transformed, all because of the cross. So what is the only method of reconciliation? The only method is the perfect blood and body of Christ. We have this big plan. And then God says there's only one way to get there. There's only one method of reconciliation. And that is the perfect blood, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect son in the flesh of my son, Jesus. Next we see the lasting purpose of reconciliation. Why did he reconcile us? And sisters and brothers, you're going to love this. 
I mean, in fact, if you were Pentecostals, you'd be jumping over your chairs right now and rolling around on, on the floor. This is amazing. At the end of verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the lasting purpose of reconciliation. God said, look, if they're going to come into my presence, they're going to have to be holy. They're going to have to be blameless. They're going to have to be above reproach, which means they're going to have to be cleansed of all sin. Zinzendorf, who was a German reformer, said this in about 1740, and I concur, no one is holier than a sinner who has received grace. When you put your faith in Jesus instantly, this is so important because I think sometimes our theology has gotten off track on this. When we put our faith in Jesus instantly at that moment, verse 22, you become, this is you, you become holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. And that little phrase at the end, careful, I want you to see this. What's the end of that verse? Before him. Other translations, your translation may say in his sight. So don't forget this. In reality, we're still having problems, aren't we? In this life, in this flesh, in this city, we're still having problems, arrogance and anger and apathy, and we become abrasive people. We're afraid people, and those are just the words that start with A. But God... Who does God see in you? In his sight, you are where? Not just what. You are where? You are in Christ. He sees you in Christ. So in God's sight, for every Christian here today that feels like you've messed up a lot the last week, in God's sight, you are holy and blameless. That's why he says to us in Romans chapter 8, who shall lay any charge against God's elect? It is God who has declared you just. Is there a higher court in the universe than God's? No. So write this down. The lasting purpose is my blamelessness before God. This is the lasting purpose of reconciliation, that we might be holy we might be above reproach, that we are blameless before God, even if you feel like you messed up the last week, Christian. The lasting purpose of reconciliation is that you are holy before God, fourthly and lastly, the personal evidence of reconciliation. So this is the evidence in your life that you have been reconciled with God. In fact, I hope you're thinking right now, man, reconciliation is awesome. How do I know I've been reconciled to God? Look at verse 23, if... Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Do you know how you can tell a true Christian? One word, continuing. Continue. True Christians will continue. In John chapter 8, verse 30, that the story is told that many believed on his name, but then Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then, and only then are you my real disciple. What does a true Christian do? They continue. True branches in John chapter 15, what do they do? They abide in Christ. They continue in Christ. So here we see at the very end of verse 23, the gospel they've heard, the gospel that's been preached, the gospel that saved Paul, the gospel that Paul's now a minister of at the very end of verse 23, it's a gospel that is proven by continuing. The personal evidence, here you can write this down, the personal evidence 
of reconciliation is my continuation in Christ. So maybe this would be an excellent moment for you to evaluate your own heart, your own life, and ask yourself this question, am I continuing in the faith? It's great that you were born into a Christian home. I love that you were baptized. So cool you listen to Christian music in the car. Keep doing that. That's not the question that is asked you. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm so happy for you. But in the end, it's the last day that counts. The most important day in your life is the last day. The question is, on that day, will you love Jesus? On that day, will you be walking with Jesus? Are you along the way, verse 23, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel? Reminds you again what reconciliation is about. In reconciliation, the separated sinner stands before God as an enemy and becomes a friend of God. We, church, have been saved with that great of a salvation. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word to us today, the power of your word. Father, thank you for this rich section in Scripture where we're reminded of how we were saved the power of reconciliation. We were, we were born your enemy, God, and we declared war on you by our own sin. And then Christ, the great reconciler, his blood, his cross, the opening of his flesh allowed us to enter into a brand new covenant. We started life as an enemy of God, but in Christ Jesus, we are now a friend of God. How marvelous. What grace. May this be our testimony this week that we continue in Christ, stable, steadfast, not shifting away from the hope that we have found in the gospel. This is the true test that we are in Christ Jesus, that we continue in Christ Jesus. We praise you today for such a great salvation, for such a rich grace. In the name of Christ, we pray. And now through Christ, we sing our song of celebration.